Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we come to you live every Wednesday at four o'clock from beautiful downtown Elmira Oregon and I moved back inside this week partly because my neighbor's running a chainsaw and it's a little cloudier today um, so not taking advantage of the sun. And therefore, I don't have to have my mask on and all that stuff, so we don't have to play the Long Ranger. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's been a a busy week for me because, yeah, like I said last week, I'm doing double duty. I'm I'm bookkeeper and chief cook and bottle washer for my wife's company, while at the same time doing the the, uh, county commissioner gig, which keeps me kind of busy, email and internet and social media and all that stuff. So, um, you know, just the way it is. And I I just want to say, if I start coughing today during the show, it's not COVID. I was, you know, down there in my wife's office, uh, and I moved and relocated uh, the stereo out of a cabinet that's been there for over 10 years. And you should have seen the dust in it. So I was breathing a lot of dust today. So if I start hacking, it's the dust and the pollen. It's not COVID. I promise. And I promise you can't get it through your computer or, what, or however you're listening to the Bose Nose Show. But today, we're going to talk a little bit about post-COVID and coming out. And I really want to get people's opinions on this. So I'm going to give you the call-in number a couple of times here, 646-721-9887. And you just have to press one so we know you want to talk because some people actually call in just to listen uh, when they can, you know, on their phone versus, you know, when they have to walk away from their computer, which you can do, you know, if that's the way you want to listen to the show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So really as we're starting to see, you know, the plateauing, the flattening of the curve, whatever you want to say, maybe not as, as uh, big of an impact to our hospital system as we thought we were going to have, time maybe to start thinking about how we're going to come out of this. 
you know, when, and, and how do we know when we should start coming out of this? And I'm, I kind of wonder what people think about it. You know, I, I, I read, you know, the news coverage of the governor's um, uh, announcement yesterday, you know, working with Oregon and, and California, I mean, Oregon, California, Washington, working together uh, to figure out how to reopen, you know, kind of, kind of want your opinion on that too. What do you think of the idea that we're going to, you know, work together with a couple other states, you know, because it seems like Washington state was hit a lot harder by this than we were. So, you know, they're going to probably be closed down longer. You know, do, are we, do we really want to hold Oregon's economy back you know, when we could possibly reopen sooner than Washington? Um, likewise, with California was hit harder than Oregon. We don't have the um, huge dense cities like Seattle or L.A., you know, San Diego, San Francisco. You know, we have Portland, you know, that's our only major metropolis, but in comparison, it's actually small. So, you know, do we do we tie ourselves to those other states? You know, so that's you know one question for you. Do we do we do this alone or do we do it with other states? And, you know, and then do we try and do anything local? You know, is and what's our authority to do something maybe at the local level versus waiting for the state to get off the dime? You know, that that's another question. And, and you know, for me, and and this has kind of been a question all along for me a little bit, is there's some states that kind of trusted their citizens to make a determination whether they were essential or non-essential, whether their business was essential or non-essential, and whether they were taking the proper precautions or not, and and kind of left it up to the people rather than uh, executive orders closing certain businesses, declaring certain things to be illegal, like you can't go out in a motorboat in Michigan. You can go out in a sailboat or canoe or kayak, but you can't go out in a motorboat in Michigan. That is illegal. Don't ask me why, but that's part of the governor's executive order in Michigan. So, you know, kind of arbitrary stuff. And you kind of wonder how much of this, you know, these executive orders and all that uh, that are coming out from governors and, and some of the desires they're doing fit a personal agen political agenda versus whether it's truly about safety for the community. Because, you know, you can cram just as many people into a sailboat as you can into a motorboat. Why is there a difference? You know, why did you choose to make motorboats, you know, a five horsepower motorboat that you might use to, to get out to where, where the fish are, fishing is, um, is worse than a 40 foot sailboat on Lake Michigan, <laughs> you know, wh where's, where's that, that rowboat with a five horsepower on the back worse than the 40 foot sailboat? I, I don't get it unless you have something against gasoline engines. And that was part of, you know, your, your desire to, to draw that distinction that has nothing to do with COVID-19. So, and it, you know, kind of wonder, and, and I, I talked about this on Facebook over the weekend, and that, and that it's one of the first times where I've deleted some comments for obscenities off of my Facebook page because it got kind of a violent reaction, and that was the the thought the governor was originally proposing last week, although she backed away from it this weekend, 
of releasing a bunch of prisoners early out of the state prison system um, to prevent uh, them from maybe potentially getting COVID in the prison system like they're going to be safer outside. Um, and also, you know, just, you know, the whole idea of releasing early out into the communities in the middle of the highest unemployment ever probably in Oregon, you know, you know since the Great Depression. Um, and at a time where group uh, therapies like Narcotics Anonymous and, and other group therapies are prohibited. And there's a severe housing crisis in Oregon, so there's no real housing available. You know, you're, you're setting these folks up for failure by letting them out early with zero support systems, zero ability to get a job, and very little uh, ability to get housing. You know, what, what's going to happen to those guys that you release? You know, and, and what's going to happen in the communities they're released to? when they become homeless and they are unsuccessful and, you know, either recommit crimes or end up with COVID because, you know, they're not able to shelter in place anywhere. You know, so it's kind of, you know, what's the agenda behind that really when the governor was thinking about doing that? And what you find is there were people pushing for that that have been pushing for uh, prison and sentencing reform all along before COVID-19. And now they're taking advantage of COVID-19 to try and do what they wanted to do all, all along, which is release a bunch of people early from prison because they just don't believe in prisons in general. You know, but uh, boy, I tell you that the reaction to that post this weekend on Facebook, people had some pretty high emotions around that, particularly people that, um, have been victims or have family members that have been victims of people that are in prison, they were some pretty hot, you know, responses about that. And there were a fair amount of responses that were like, yeah, that's why gun sales went up. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of, you know, kind of interesting. Speaking of gun sales, do you realize that homeschooling now has been going on for quite a while in America? And record gun sales have been happening in America. So those kids have been home with parents that have been buying guns. So their teachers are armed. And you know what? I haven't heard of any of those kids getting shot. Saying, you know, none of their teachers have, have either, you know, had their weapons stolen by the kids or whatever that I know of. Um, so just saying. And of course, you know, one of the benefits of this has been, you know, there hasn't been a mass shooting at a school. So, you know, maybe homeschooling, uh, you know, school choice and all that stuff might might become a post-COVID-19 thing where people start realizing, hey, my kids are safer at home. And you know what? They're learning what I want them to learn, not what, you know, some agenda-driven uh, school system has. But I get off the subject a little bit. Sorry about that, but I do that. My mind goes those directions. The original subject, though, was when do we reopen? Are we trying to jump in, Robin? <laughs> now I'm just giving you a hard time, Squirrel. By the well, way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, put out there real quick. I'm trying something new that uh, would be on people's screens right now, which is a poll asking the question, should Oregon reopen? Yes or no? And feel free to, to chime in on that poll. Great. And that's for our Facebook Live crowd? Yeah, that's on Facebook Live. So, yeah, we, we also just want to remind folks we do go out through Facebook Live. It's where we get a lot of our viewers. Um, but really, uh, I'm kind of curious, should we reopen and when? And how do we reopen? So give us a call, 646-721-9887. And I'd like to hear your opinion about that. I'll tell you some of mine. And, and I'll tell you why I have some of this opinion. First, I believe in the collective wisdom of the people of America. You know, we have done some amazing things without government having to tell us to do it. Over the years, you know, the, the, the things we, we've invented, the economy we've developed, the freedoms we've been able to maintain, are pretty impressive. And I think the general population of America can decide for themselves when they're placing themselves in harm, whether they, you know, whether they should reopen a business, whether their business can, you know, is a business that can operate safely or not, whether they can provide, you know, if you're an employee of that business, you can make the decision whether to go back or not, whether it's safe at that business, whether your employer is providing, you know, proper distancing or, or PPE, you know, people have the ability to make those kinds of decisions as well as the customers of those businesses. You know, if you're a customer of a tanning salon, for instance, you probably already wanted to know that that tanning salon you were going to kept their beds, tanning beds or booths clean because that's always been a, an issue for tanning salons. And that, you know, post-COVID that there's, you know, separation that you're, that they're cleaning between clients, you know, you're, you're you know, that you can stay separated from, from uh, other clients and, and the um, work, you know, the, the employees well enough, uh, all those various things. Um, you might end up having to wear a mask while you're tanning, get a little tan line, who knows? You know, it will all end up with these, you know, COVID-19 tans that, where we're going to have white around our, our mouth and nose um, <laughs> this summer. That'll be the new tan line. You know, people will be showing off. You know, I, you know my... My brother was a commercial fisherman. He always had these strange raccoon sort of looking white eyes from wearing um, heavy sunglasses, polarized sunglasses all the time uh, out on the water. Um, you know, now we're going to have people with the same thing around their mouths from COVID-19, COVID-19 tan lines. Um, but, you know, if you're that customer of that tanning salon, you can make those decisions. You know, if you're somebody that really needs their hair cut, you can kind of decide, is it safe for me to go into that barber or that hair salon? Are they doing the right things to keep things enough separation? Am I seeing them clean everything? You know, likewise, one of the ways if you're a hair salon or, or um, a barber to advertise to your clients is, you know, we're only going to allow so many people in at a time. We're not allowing people to sit and wait in our waiting room. You have to wait out in your car. Um, 
we'll come get you when we're ready for you. We're going to clean the station between each, you know, and we're going to make this known so you know you're safe here. You know, that's one of the ways a business can actually draw in new customers is by advertising their ability to protect their their customers. You know, so there's just, you know, if I was a restaurant, say, trying to reopen, I would be advertising that I've removed, you know, half of my tables and separated them and um, am only allowing, um, you know, people to come in and stay at their tables and try not, you know, you know, the bar is not going to be open yet, you know, whatever, you know, those sort of things that you could do to try and tell your customers you're going to keep them safe. That can all be done without having the government involved, because I guarantee you, people aren't going to start coming out and going to businesses without kind of knowing some of those things. So, you know, do we kind of start allowing some of those businesses that want to do that and some of the customers that want to patronize those businesses start, you know, having that soft opening where they can make those decisions themselves? I guarantee you there's certain things that just aren't going to reopen right away because people won't feel safe about it. You're not going to see um, movie theaters necessarily reopen unless they find a way to, you know, close off every other row in the theater and every other seat or something like that to get everybody six feet apart and, and, and have, have smaller um, audiences. You know, that there's, you know, some places that just, you know, may not reopen right away. I don't know how you do, you know, bars and letting people intermix as strangers um, unless you insist on everybody wearing masks and gloves, you know, in the bar. Pretty hard to drink with a mask on, though. Uh, so, you know, you know, I think some people can make those decisions. And I I say this because I'm starting to see data from countries that haven't had the limited testing that Oregon's been under, which, you know, if I have one criticism of Oregon is why haven't we had more testing in Oregon available? You know, what, what has been the real situation? You know, did all the test kits get sent to New York city? Um, you know, what, what's going on that we have less than 1% of our total population in Oregon tested? And here in Lane County, it's just a few tenths of a percent of our population that's been tested. It's meaningless to understand the actual number of people that had COVID and having an understanding of how deadly and how many hospitalizations per total cases there are. But in some of the countries where they have had really strong widespread testing, we're starting to see data come back that looks like COVID-19 may not be as dangerous as originally thought. And that that's something that, you know, comes into part of my decision making around people, you know, can look at some of that data, make some decisions around around their own health and safety. You know, when we thought this was going to overwhelm our hospital system and we've managed to flatten the curve, and now we're starting to see that maybe we, we might not have been overwhelmed even even without that flattening of the curve. Um, you know, what you know, is that something where we can let people decide? 
we may want to, and, and this is because the one place we are seeing you know, COVID-19 be deadly, continue strong restrictions around nursing homes and group uh, living situations like nursing homes. Um, that's the one place where we are seeing a high mortality rate and a high hospitalization rate. Those senior, valued senior citizens uh, in our society need to be protected. So there needs to be continued protection of those facilities. And we need the employees to, to continue to, you know, be t and this is where more testing comes in. So when do we reopen? Maybe when it's when we finally in Oregon get some higher testing capacity or some really good news today, uh, Peace Health um, Laboratory is gonna start doing some rapid testing and the University of Oregon and Mackenzie Willamette have gotten together to use some of the University of Oregon's laboratory uh, facilities to initiate some additional testing here in our community. So we actually are developing local testing capacity to make up for the fact that the state hasn't really been able to jump in. So here in Lane County, we may actually get some additional testing. It's still not enough. We're still gonna barely break maybe a percent of our population getting tested. And when you think about it, if somebody was tested a month ago and they tested negative, there's nothing that says they haven't been exposed between now and then. So there needs to be continual testing. But what really needs to happen is these health, these workers in these nursing home facilities and our workers in our health facilities like hospitals, they need to be tested regularly and that capacity to continue to, to regularly test those folks so we can protect the, those vulnerable populations that are already hospitalized or already in nursing homes and group care facilities. That is a really important uh, aspect of when we reopen. You know, because until we can assure some of those populations where there, there, there is strong and higher mortality and strong um, need for hospitalization, that's one place where I'm not quite ready to, to you know, say, let, let's, let's restart everything. We have to think about those vulnerable populations as we reopen. But it does look like, you know, the curve's flattening, you know, some of our increased um, caseload also has to do with that we're starting to pick up increased testing. Uh, I, I predict that now with, um, Peace Health and Mackenzie Willamette starting to do more testing, we will see more cases in Lane County. It's not necessarily that there are more cases, it's just more people are going to be tested, you know, and we'll see more positive results. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm expecting as more and more testing comes online, we will see an increase in cases, but it may be that not necessarily there's an increase in the population there's just an increase in the identification. You know, this is, is um, not too dissimilar to the fact that when we started recognizing certain diseases, we saw upswings in the number of cases because we hadn't really identified that disease existed, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. You know, we didn't identify autism really until fairly recently in history. We didn't identify Alzheimer's until fairly recent history. So as we understood it and started diagnosing it, 
there was an upswing in reported cases, um, almost purely due, due to the fact that, you know, there was recognition and diagnosis. If we have more testing, it'll be the same thing. There'll be recognition and diagnosis that, that somebody has COVID-19 that's more related to expanding testing capacity than it is to whether or not there's more, a higher percentage in population. So um, that's kind of one of the things for me as you know, the triggers to what needs to happen before we can reopen. I'd like to see enough testing capacity to be in place that we can consistently test and retest employees at nursing homes and hospitals and other care facilities that are dealing with these vulnerable populations. You know, the other part about starting um, some of these uh, non-emergency um, and uh, essential uh, procedures in hospitals, that has more to do with whether there's enough PPE for the hospital workers. Um, and I, I have to depend on the hospitals to make that kind of decision in the hospital systems. Um, I do know I've got a friend that was scheduled to have hip replacement surgery right as it started and they canceled it. I mean, literally the governor's order came out and uh, the same day that he was scheduled and they basically canceled. Um, you know, so he's been sitting at home this entire time with a severely painful hip, you know, and that's quote, a non-essential surgery, elective surgery. Um, and he can't get his hip replaced um, until they can assure there's enough PPE there for, you know, the, the surgeons and the nurses that are going to deal with him in a couple days he'll be in the hospital post hip replacement. Um, but that's, you know, it's not just um, the cosmetic surgeries or, or those sort of elective procedures. I heard somebody trying to make fun of, you know, the, the quote, um, elective um, surgeries thought it was all cosmetic. Now, when they were talking elective surgeries, there were some pretty serious surgeries that got canceled. You know, people in serious pain uh, with mobility issues, um, you know, a lot of the orthopedic work was, was just stopped completely. So um, that's, you know, hopefully we can get back to that, but that's a case with the personal protective equipment and I'm not qualified to make that decision. That's when I'll leave to the hospital systems to tell us when they're prepared to reopen. And I don't know if that's really the governor's level. If I was, you know, if I was the governor, I'd basically say hospitals, you know, when you have enough PPE, you understand what a surge could happen if, you know, as we start reopening, if we do get a surge, that there'll be a need, a greater need. Do you have enough set aside? And, and are you ready, ready to, do both have enough set aside for a possible, you know, re, you know, another surge if we get one and also continue your elective surgeries. When you think you have enough, you can reopen. You know, that, that's, you know, again, leave it up to the people that know to make their own decisions. So we've touched on a bunch of topics here on the Bose Nose Show. And I always like to hear from folks out there 
And uh, yeah, the other week we got a couple great calls and it took up a good portion of the show. So I'd really love if somebody wanted to call in and tell me what they think about reopening at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get it on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get it in on the Bo's Nose Show. So um, as we kind of move around in the Bo's Nose Show here, and we'll talk a little bit about um, not so much, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, reopening Oregon, getting the economy back up and running, or releasing prisoners early from prison, and all the various aspects of COVID-19, I'm going to jump to something completely different for a few minutes. Because I got an email from an environmental activist this week asking for the Board of Commissioners to step in and, and, and try and stop the um, BLM's project in the Thurston Hills on the backside of the Thurston Hills where they're looking to do some um, uh, some timber harvest specifically to do some treatments for the long-term health of the forest back there which really hasn't been touched in a long time and it's a project that's over 390 acres I think it's 394 and this activist basically said, please stop the clear cut of this, you know, pristine forest and all that stuff and you know, claimed it was going to be a clear cut. And I want to make something perfectly clear. The BLM has not done clear cuts in a long time. They just don't. They stopped that practice on federal land. You know, you're not seeing clear cuts. So this claim of a clear cut doesn't match BLM practice at all. What's really happening there is there's some selective harvesting being done. And of the 394 acres out there, they are going to actually harvest about 92 total acres in patches throughout that 394. So basically 25% of that area is going to get harvested in patches. And they're going to leave riparian areas completely alone around streams. They're going to be leaving habitat trees in the areas that are harvested. Um, you know, those are those single or groups of trees to have habitat for raptors and other uh, species. And um, at the same time, they're going to be doing a bunch of trail improvement for the trail system that winds back um, through the parks, Lamelaine parks, and into the BLM system, that they're actually working in conjunction with the Disciples of Dirt here in the Eugene area to develop um, this pass system that can be used by both hikers and um, mountain bikers. And this, between the pass system and the um, uh, the, the trails that will be cut in to do the harvest work. Um, it's also going to make it easier to fight fire in that area in the future because uh, there'll be more access to it. Um, and that's going to be a benefit long run because one of the claims in the, in the email was this was going to increase fire hazard. And there's actually been uh, in the ESA a separate analysis of fire hazard. And it's the, the increased access balances out any, any concerns about um, increased fire hazard because of harvest 
you know, being done in there. Um, so it just amazes me to read an email and then, and, and having understood the project, because it's been controversial going on for a while, so I educated myself about the project. And the complete, you know, separation from reality that the email was to try and draw an emotional response out of the commissioners to, to and, and hopefully the public who might also, you know, have access to these, these comments that the, the Board of Commissioners gets. Um, to try and claim that somehow or another there's, you know, some huge clear cutting that's going to be done, you know, on the backside of the Thurston Hills. You know, what's going to be done is some selective treatment of the forest there and some very selective harvest work done out there and a whole bunch of recreational improvements that's going to make that such a gem down the road, you know, for those folks. And, you know, some of those selective harvest areas are actually going to open up vistas where you're going to be able to sit on a bench and, and watch the sunset because you've got a, an opening in the forest to look through. Uh, and, and we'll get some um, areas of meadow growing back uh, over time. And uh, that brings in a different set of species uh, that we actually, you know, have been losing some of in, in the uh, in Oregon because we've cut back on 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 logging in Oregon in general, and a lot we're getting a lot of closed canopy forest, and some of these open um, meadow areas that are going to be created actually support um, bird species and other species that need that environment. Um, some certain hummingbirds um, that have been been uh, uh, decreasing population in Oregon need that open environment for the various wildflowers to, to grow and bloom uh, that they feed on. Yeah, so um, it's important to have those those different levels of habitat you know, for a healthy environment. It just seems kind of um, uh, very agenda-driven uh, around that. And I think it's mostly driven by the contract who was awarded the contract to do the work and not around what the actual work was because it seems like this particular environmental group has it in for this particular um, family-owned and run timber company and and that just it it's kind of surprising that you know that they can make something sound so bad so if you start hearing about pedal power or the Thurston Hills clear cuts and all that stuff, step back a little bit and, and understand that, you know, basically only 25% of the area is going to be harvested. It's being done in patches with, and it's not clear cut. It's being done, you know, with BLM's harvest methods, which aren't a pure clear cut at all. And uh, trees are being left up. Uh, riparian areas are being protected. And in addition, a whole bunch of recreational improvements are going to go in that's going to make this uh, a, a truly multi-use um, forest uh, area in, in the future that's going to be much more dynamic and have a lot more wildlife because of the variation in habitat uh, rather than one entire closed canopy area. So 
had to talk about that a little bit. It's, you know, one of those things you see as a commissioner you know, coming through is it's not always about COVID-19. There's still other things happening out there in the world. And, you know, hopefully folks understand during this crisis that um, wood products like toilet paper um, are kind of essential products for life, <laughs> including all the paper bags that are now being used in the grocery store. Um, you know, now that you can't bring in your reusable bags because they're worried about COVID-19, uh, all the cardboard packaging um, that you're getting uh, with your Amazon deliveries now that you're not going to the store and you're buying everything online, you know, that comes from the forest. And it comes from, you know, chip logs that are too small and and uh, and come out of some of these, these harvests on on public lands like the pedal power harvest. And I really hope folks understand that, you know, those paper products are important. They go into a lot of the PPE that we need um, our, our medical folks to have. So, um, you know, attacking something purely because you don't like the people involved in the contract and you're just, you know, trying to maybe generate contributions into your quote nonprofit environmental organization um, that's really um, seems to be more the motivation of this than actually protect protecting the environment so it comes right down to it in the long term this project will make the environment better and I, and I don't get how anyone can think it doesn't because uh, it was designed specifically because it was up against um, you know, an urban area, and they understood this forest serves more recreational use than anything, and it was designed to enhance that recreational and habitat function of that forest. You know, not, you know, if it was purely to generate um, a timber harvest and, and the revenues with that, they wouldn't only be cutting 25% of the forest. So, um, I, I just had to get up on my soapbox a little bit there and and, and talk a bit about pedal power and, and how it's going to benefit the residents of Springfield. It's not going to increase fire dangers. It's it's going to actually increase their recreational opportunities and uh, become a gem uh, in the future for uh, the Springfield area. So, once again, I'll remind folks, uh, we've been talking about a lot of things, reopening Oregon, uh, letting prisoners out early, uh, pedal power harvest, anything on your mind out there, we're willing to talk about it. And if you have something completely different you want to talk about, give us a call, 646-721-9887, and uh, press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation on the Bose Nose Show. Um, but, you know, that's the number to talk to me, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. Again, 646-721-9887 if you want to get on the Bozo Show. And I think, Robin, you want to pick up on – see, great, thank you. Um, so, you know, that's one of the reasons I do this show is I like to have conversations with, with people. Um, and and get their opinions about things and and 
you know, COVID-19 is, is on everybody's mind across the country, but there are other things going on. And we talked about a few last week, redistricting and, and uh, a few others. And um, looks like we have um, someone on the line that wants to put an opinion. Jeff, welcome to the Bose Nose Show. Hey, hey Jay, uh, just contacting you here from the coast here in Florence again. Oh, great to hear from you. What's, what's yeah. going on on the coast? You guys ready to reopen so, Oregon a little bit? Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be great? So, uh, yeah, we took a cruise uh, up to Yahats, completely deserted. And even in Yahats now, they've closed off so you can't even park your car, the ocean. I mean, are they getting tight or what? Yeah. Well, you know, I sort of understand some of it because um, people at first, didn't quite get the idea that um, the, the closing of schools and some of the businesses wasn't about taking a vacation. You know, that first weekend of, of spring break, um, you know, people flocked to the coast. It was actually more busy, busier than it would normally have been. Um, and, mm-hmm. and people didn't understand that, you know, when you're, when you leave your community and travel to another one, um, you might be bringing the, the, the virus with you. Um, so some of that reaction was around that. And, of course, um, Lincoln County was one of those counties that got swamped. And, and uh, they have a little bit different mission there. And uh, they actually um, went to the point of actually closing hotels and stuff like that by the county commissioner's orders. Uh, we didn't quite go there. Right. Yeah, I mean, traveling up there, I mean, if they could, if they could block off something, they did. And so for the three surfers I see out there, they had to park like on the side of the road and climb down some steep cliff or something to get down to the ocean. And anyways, um, it's just, um, you know, at some point, you know, I mean, look at all this abuse that I guess we're hearing about people being in their houses and stuff. You know, at some point you got to let people out of their house. I mean, this is just nuts. You got to let a little bit of uh, pressure off. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's an important aspect. It's one of the reasons why we never closed all of the county parks. Uh, we wanted to have people have some ability to recreate outdoor. And you got a park like Mount Pisgah, which is you know, several hundred acres. People should be able to keep six feet apart, <laughs> you know? Right, and, uh, and so we have a, another thing going on here in town, and, and you know, I guess you know, maybe it could be hearsay and things, but you know, we have a gentleman here that apparently has, has done – I think it was like five or seven thefts and each time the police just give them a ticket of some sort because they don't want to put anyone in jail. I know this sounds crazy, but I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. And that, that's sort of happening. Um, even with the Lane County jail to a certain extent, we're trying to deal with, deal with a lot of um, not actually processing somebody in and out of the jail. Cause we don't know whether they, you know, cause this gets back to the lack of testing capacity. You know, another place where I would definitively try and get some testing besides nursing home uh, employees and, and um, the medical staff uh, would be our, our jail employees and inmates on as they come in so that we could know whether we need to quarantine them or not. It's really gotten to be um, uh, 
a serious issue for us to, you know, ha who do we take into the, our county jail? And I imagine municipal jails are, are trying to avoid having a population because many of our, our jails are set up in dormitory situations where there's not a, a lot of ability to keep uh, the physical separation. So you do, do you introduce somebody new into that population without taking them through at least a 14 day solitary confinement quarantine? No, Jay, that, that is actually a great idea. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard anyone discuss that. That's a great idea that we, we test the, the inmate population, the employees, and then everybody who comes in new, and then we don't have to literally release everybody, and we can take yeah. in these people taking advantage of this. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's about the testing capacity, which I talked about a little bit earlier on the show. In Oregon, our capacity has been woefully inadequate. And we've tested less than one percent of the population of Oregon. You know that that says nothing about where COVID is or isn't. You know I you know I caught a lot of heat a couple of weeks ago from you folks on the coast about whether or not we should be naming whether people tested positive. You know in on the coast or not. And uh, my my reaction to that was we're not testing enough people to know it's not already over there. And and if we did announce whether or not there was somebody on the coast, what would you do differently based on that knowledge? Yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, that, you know, most people are they're stuck in their houses right now. Yeah. Yeah. We'd only tested two tenths of a percent. Yeah. So we need more testing for sure. But I think people also are getting to understand what it takes to keep themselves safe. You know, keeping yeah, six feet away from, yeah, you know, wearing right. a mask, and I, wash, washing and your shopping, hands. And, absolutely. And I was, you know, shopping at Fred Meyer and Bymart. And, you know, I can see some of these employees, you know, I, I totally get it. Some are just a little bit short-tempered, just a little bit. And I think it's because those of us that don't wear masks, maybe they're thinking that we're disrespecting them or, you know, we don't something it's starting to change my mind about wearing a mask because you know i kind of get it i mean these they're seeing just the population go by them every minute and so you know maybe maybe i should start wearing a mask just just to be yeah. polite i suppose i've been wearing one yeah you know, basically a bandana out in public and, it, and it's mostly and it is to protect the employees and other people um because i may be carrying covid unknowingly you know, I might have one of those mild cases or I might be one of those pre-symptom people where they, you actually can spread COVID for several days before you show any symptoms. Um, so, you know, I wear that mask mostly because that prevents if I have a, have a sudden cough or sneeze that I don't get a chance to put in, into my arm or, or turn away. I'm not spraying all over the place or if I pop my peas while I'm stop talking, yeah, you know, I'm not spraying that either. It's it's getting into my bandana and stopping there for the most part, or at least it, the bandana drops that velocity down enough that it's not going six to ten feet away from me. It's stopping a foot away from me. And that yeah, that's yeah. Important. Yeah, I'm yeah. also not breathing produce in the grocery store. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I've heard some other stories. You know but I'm not going to pass them on what's going on here in town, but Hey, thank you for being there, putting up with whatever you have to put up with. And 
here on the Florence coast, we're just uh, taking it one day at a time. Yeah, well, thanks for the input. And it's interesting that they're blocking off the parking on those overlooks and stuff. Um, yeah. Pretty interesting. Right on. So thanks for yeah. Well, I'll talk, I'll talk to you later. All right, stay safe. So that was Jeff calling him from the coast. And, uh, you know, that's all you have to do is call in. And uh, we'll get you on the show and have a conversation. So, as we move along here in the Bo's Nose Show, you know, that is a good question. You know, one of the things about allowing people to reopen, the only, one of the concerns I have a little bit is inter-area inter travel. You know, are the, you know, I don't know that, say, Coos County's only had one case of COVID, and it was at a... Um, Department of Corrections Shutter Creek facility, and it was an inmate they moved there and then immediately pulled back out. So does Coos County really not have the disease there, or is it just the lack of testing that it's not there? But if we start reopening things, is is that going to have somebody from, uh, say, the Eugene Springfield area where we've had, you know, about 40 cases uh, plus right now that we know of, uh, travel down to Coos County, uh, you know, to enjoy the beaches there and maybe bring COVID into a county that doesn't have it yet. You know, that's kind of, you know, how far do we let people, you know, travel and, and how do we prevent that? Or do we prevent that? Is it even possible? And it gets, you know, then it gets to even be a question of, you know, constitutional rights and where can you draw the line and is there enough of a health hazard involved to be able to say, I can trample on your First Amendment rights um, and freedoms uh, that are in that First Amendment and your freedom to travel and assemble um, based on you know, what we've seen so far with COVID-19? So, um, yeah, that's that's one of my concerns is if we do start lifting stuff, but you know, it does seem kind of silly that um, we won't even let people pull off of the highway to look at the ocean, <laughs> you know, but I guess that, that, you know, in order to get there, if you weren't from uh, Florence or Yahats, you probably drove over from the Valley somewhere either Salem or, or Eugene or Corvallis or Albany and um, and you're driving up and down the coast and stopping at those overlooks and I guess they're you know roping them off trying to kind of make it so that there's no real reason to come there um, because if you are there you're probably going to stop for gas somewhere or to pick up snacks and you know touch door handles and whatever else um, and you could be bringing the COVID virus into a community that does not maybe have widespread COVID yet. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand why they did it, but I'm kind of wondering how much longer they need to do it. Because I kind of look at, and I kind of wonder, and this is where time will tell, Sweden has chosen not to shut their economy down. They've done a partial closure that's related to protecting the um, most vulnerable, where they are actually, you know, have 
you know, seniors and nursing homes, excuse me, they put in really um, strong restrictions around those vulnerable populations, uh, you know, people with compromised immune systems and everything else. Um, and they're doing testing of employees of those facilities and all that, trying to keep it out of those facilities. But they're letting the general public, you know, continue to um, interact and not social distance um, and take whatever actions they feel are necessary. And it'd be interesting to see because what they what their their theory is, it's really not that much worse than a a, a more serious strain of the flu for the population that doesn't include seniors and those with uh, um, some of these compromising health conditions like um, heart conditions and uh, diabetes. So um, they're basically taking a a hands-off approach um, to COVID-19. So it'll be interesting to watch the um, mortality statistics coming out of Sweden over the next um, several weeks. You know, where, you know, some of the countries that have taken to shut it down uh, still had big problems uh, just because they either shut it down too late. And that, and the question is, is was the economic um, impact worse than what the health impact would have been to a shutdown? And I, I don't, interesting question. Excuse me. One of the dogs kept me up last night. <laughs> And that's one of the things about doing a show in the late afternoon seems to kind of get get to me right about now. But, um, you know, we are going to see some severe economic impacts. I don't think people quite realize that yet. You know, I got my stimulus tech check showed up in my bank account um, today. You should check your bank account if you filed your taxes in the last couple of years and did direct deposit of a refund. Um, you should have your stimulus check today. Uh, unless you're one of those people that has a gross income, uh, adjusted gross income over 75000 or 150000 per couple. But even then, you get partials until you get over a certain amount. But um, uh, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> so I saw some stimulus money show up in my account, which I somewhat feel guilty about because I continue, you know, to work, my wife continues to work, um, and so we haven't lost income during this yet. We got the stimulus check because they just did a blanket. Everybody gets it instead of maybe giving more to fewer people that had a higher impact. Um, you know, folks that got in unemployed. So I'm planning on taking my stimulus check and spending it in our local economy as it reopens to try and help the economy come back. Um, that's Kind of, you know, in fact, I'm thinking about utilizing it to uh, hire somebody to do some um, insulation work that I was thinking about doing myself, but I've been unable to get to. So there may be an insulation contractor and some other um, uh, uh, um, work like that and, and repairs around my house that I'll utilize that'll be local people doing that work. Um, so that that's that's how I'm going to not feel guilty about getting a stimulus check. <laughs> Wonder if you got your stimulus check 
and what you're going to do with it, give us a call here at 646-721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the conversation. So, Robin, have you checked your bank account? Did you get your stimulus check? Yeah, I got mine, and it's going to go to help uh, support a lot of people. I, I think Jay knows where I'm going with this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna go towards paying your mortgage, rent, whatever. Yeah, and and, and uh, groceries and everything else, because um, and 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 your property taxes. And my property, mainly the property tax part, because yeah. I already got the reminder. You still owe us uh, nine hundred bucks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so Robin's gonna be paying my salary with her. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. But she's also going to be paying school districts and fire districts and city of Springfield and everybody else because we only get about 10 cents on a dollar. So we're only going to get about $90 of that 900, Robin. Yeah. Um, you know, generous I am. Yes. Thank you. You've, you've made your contribution to Lane County um, <laughs> or going to, um, but you know, uh, Robin, you know, obviously doesn't produce this show for a living. She actually does it uh, for free for me, which is really nice of her. Um, and uh, it's, it's a public service that she does, but her employer cut her hours back by 25%. So she's living on a paycheck. That's only 75% of what it was. So her stimulus check means something more. So should maybe have I not gotten a stimulus check and maybe Robin got a bigger one because her hours were actually cut because of COVID-19. You know, that's, that was kind of what I was, you know, she's a perfect example of somebody that probably could have used the stimulus more to get by. I'm just going to use the stimulus purely to spend it in the local economy to generate economic activity, which is not a bad thing. It's going to keep people busy uh, to a certain extent, but it may be, um, you know, some of the people that really need it, um, you know, think about the, the family that had the waitress laid off and, you know, who knows, you know, the, the school bus driver or whatever, you know, that's not working anymore that worked for a contractor to the school system. So he's not getting paid. Um, like the school teachers are still getting paid, you know, that family. And, and, and at the same time, the state of Oregon's unemployment system is completely crashing and people have been trying to get, you know, been unemployed for three weeks now still haven't gotten their first unemployment check from the state. So do those people need maybe instead of $1,200 each could have gotten, you know, 1500 and I got nothing. And maybe people like me got nothing. You know, if there had been some way of you had, to demonstrate that you had some impact from COVID-19 to get your stimulus money, you know, would that have been a correct thing to do? But I guess they were in such a rush to try and do something that it was easier just to say, we're going to do this blanket. And the only way we're going to try and make a distinction is if you made over um, 75,000 adjusted gross income, you probably had enough savings and are probably in an industry or, or do work where you didn't get laid off um, or have the ability to get by for a little while. Um, unlike 
you know, the person that had less an income under 75,000 adjusted gross income. Doesn't mean that you make 75,000 a year because once you take your personal exemptions, kids, uh, you know, all the stuff that comes off before you get to adjusted gross, um, uh, that's, uh, you know, not necessarily, you, you could have been making 90 to 100,000 to be still getting your full $1,200. So, well, with that, I think Mike, we're about out of here. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Jump in here real quick. Um, I'd like to thank, we've had probably about a half dozen to about a dozen people uh, check us out live today. Appreciate that. You know, always feel free to give us a call um, during the show or send us an email, comment on Facebook. And do you want to know what the results of the poll is? Yes, please, before we go it's, off here. The question, we're just trying, trying something new. Should Oregon reopen? It was a resounding neck-to-neck, 0% to 0%. So, no one answered, huh? No one answered. So it was worked out really well. All right. Well, we'll try it again on the Bozno Show. It's a new feature we're just trying out. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Bozno Show. And we'll have had a board meeting between them where we're going to talk, you know, carbon again at the board meeting and, and redistricting again. So might have some repeat topics for the board, for the Bozno Show. And, of course, you know, we'll see how reopening Oregon's going by next week. Hope you're staying safe. We'll be back next week, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Wednesday for the Bose Nose Show. Have a great week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.